Hello, this is Taboo Winslow Morris, sole owner and founder of Triumphant Athletic Agency, author and podcaster. Let's play ball and win. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Confronting Galalith, a genuine discussion with and for genuine folk. Our genuine discussion today is how a trust can assist with individuals' finances when you are um, when you have disabilities. Our guest today is Denise Fike. Denise Fike, Executive Director of First Maryland Disabilities Trust Incorporated. Welcome, Denise, to Confronting Goliath Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, I would, I'm going to read something that I um, got off of from one of your brochures. Okay. And we're going to just go into some questions, okay? Sure. Why a pooled asset special needs, why a pooled asset special needs trust? I don't know. I'm not sure. So let's read this. While there are public benefits for Marylanders with disabilities, it often is not quite enough for them to have a quality of life that brings with it joy and comfort. Yet, Supplemental Security Income, SSI, and Medicaid, also known as medical assistance, have strict limits on income and assets. So if the individual receives an inheritance or insurance payment, he or she may lose benefits until the assets are spent down. There is an answer. By placing those assets in a special needs trust, which meets the SSI and Medicaid rules, beneficiaries do not need to spend down precious income and assets to meet eligibility criteria. Such is the benefit of pooled asset special needs trusts offered by the First Maryland Disability Trust. This trust combines monies of the many individuals so that the beneficiaries can maximize investment benefits because of the size of the pool. Garners a better return on investment. Another benefit is that the beneficiaries receives professional money management services through the amount invested is often much less than the minimums required by most institutions. All these advantages are received while protecting eligibility for public benefit. Now, this is just one of the products that you guys offer to those with disabilities. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Denise, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. How long you've been in this industry? (laughs) Um, So... As executive director, um, I've been with First Maryland since October of 2009 and uh, executive director since April of 2011. And I got into this industry sort of as a fluke. Um, It's kind of in the right place at the right time. I was a paralegal in a previous life. I've done estate and trust litigation, estate and trust administration, guardianships, medical malpractice, personal injury law, um, the gamut of, of civil law. And, um, but I enjoyed the estates and the trust piece the most. And I wound up going from a small law firm to uh, a bank in their trust department. While I was in their trust department as a trust officer handling special needs trusts, I came, went to a, a class with one of our founding members, um, Jason Frank, 
And um, he said, you know, we're putting together this, this company, this pooled trust. Anybody know of anybody banks that can help us out? And I went, oh, 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 I do. And so one thing led to another and I came to work for them. And I've been here ever since. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that information. Now, what is a what is the first Maryland Disability Trust? Because a lot of people might be like, what is she talking about? And how long has it been in existence? So First Maryland Disability Trust, Inc. is a nonprofit organization. And we serve as a corporate trustee for persons with disabilities who have or need a special needs trust. Um, we also work with families who are doing their estate planning and they have a child or a grandchild with special needs. They need to protect monies for that child or they want to set aside monies for that child. And you know maybe they have a trust under will where they've set it up to be funded when they pass. So there's a variety of ways to um, set up a special needs trust and we work with our families and our clients, our individual clients, to make that happen. We've been in existence since 2005, um, did not take their first client until March of 2009, gave them time to get the documents together, social security to bless everything, takes them a long time. And um, from March of 2009 until now, um, the end of August, we've gone from zero dollars to managing about 67 million. Okay. Um, we have quite a few trusts that have real property in it. We manage that. And we've had over 1,600 people pass through our doors where we've been able to help families um, short term and long term. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. What circumstances would you some would you say someone would need to establish a disability trust or a special needs trust? Okay, so let's go back to a little bit about what you read in our brochure about SSI and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple different types of um, benefits out there for someone with disabilities. Now, some are more restrictive than others. If you worked or your parent worked and paid into the social security system, you could be entitled to SSDI, which is disability income. And it's really typically for the person who has worked, paid in, and they've become disabled. And that and Medicare, um, which kicks in traditionally when you're 65, or if you are disabled before that, and you are collecting SSDI, disability income, those are what's called entitlement benefits because you paid in, you're entitled to get paid back, so to speak. The means-tested benefits are the SSI, supplemental income, and Medicaid, where you have not worked, you can't work, or you don't qualify because you didn't work long enough for SSDI, and you have an asset limit in in cash or tangible um, monies, accounts, of $2,000 to $2,500 per month, that's it. Now, that excludes a house, it excludes a car, but that doesn't 
give you a lot of money. <laughs> and the restrictions on that are, you know, just that. If you have over that limit, you could lose your SSI or it's reduced, or you could lose your Medicaid for a period of time. And quite frankly, having to requalify for those benefits can take forever. Hmm. Um, even just getting them and applying for them can take a while. And so someone on SSI, say, um, you know, there's a, a family of four and um, child is 21, but child has a developmental disability and um, needs to qualify for benefits, may qualify for a DDA waiver, which um, gets paid through the state. Uh, That allows them maybe a place to live or services for educational purposes, things, you know, um, different work programs, etc. And that child also needs SSI to live on because, you know, they're no longer their parents. Um, They are, but they aren't. And they can qualify for SSI, supplemental income. But yet, grandmom leaves that child $10,000 outright when grandmom dies. That person's SSI is going to be reduced if they have over their $2,000 limit. (laughs) And so you want to make sure that you protect that money for things that the child needs, that the adult child needs at this point, but aren't paid through Medicaid or SSI. Now, can you give us some examples of things that aren't paid through SSI and Medicaid for well, a child SSI, with special needs or yeah, an adult right. with special needs? So SSI is, is deemed to be food and shelter. Okay. So that means your rent, your food, your electricity, your gas, your water, the shelter items. Okay. $843 doesn't go very far each month, it, especially if you're paying $400 for rent you've got, you know, $443 to, to live on. And so, um, things that are not paid would be cell phone, medical co-pays, um, prescriptions that might not be covered by Medicaid. Say you have a wheelchair, upgrades to the wheelchair are not covered. So maybe you have a child or an individual, not necessarily a child, but an individual that needs a reclining wheelchair with a headrest, with a special footrest or a special seat. Medicaid doesn't pay for all that. Hmm. Um, Medicare doesn't pay for all of it. And so you're going to come out of pocket. Well, it's kind of hard to do if you only have a certain amount of money. And However, money that going back to grandmom leaves to adult grandchild and they put it into a special needs trust, then the special needs trust can pick up the cost of those additional upgrades. Okay. Okay. That, that, that explains it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What are some of the pitfalls of not creating a dis, dis, disability trust? Because some people don't know about this. So pitfalls again would be the reduction or loss of benefits which could mean that you lose your health insurance um, if you're on Medicaid. 
It means you could potentially lose your housing if you're on SSI and you're on reduced housing and you don't protect monies that come into you. So here's a good example. Social Security, um, a lot of times when someone applies, you don't get approved right away. Okay. And so you may qualify for back benefits for the time from application to final approval. And you get a lump sum. Again, let's use $10,000. So you've been approved and you were approved for two years prior. Math isn't gonna work out quite right, but you know, <laughs> a year prior. And your benefits start in February on a monthly basis. And all of a sudden, you get this back lump sum of $10,000, but it puts you over your $2,000 limit. So then you have money sitting there that they now say, oh, you're over scale, you're over your limit, you need to pay us back. Hmm. And hmm. while it sounds absurd, it happens. And so you want to make sure that monies you receive, if you're on SSI specifically and Medicaid, that any monies you receive are protected so that you can use them for things, again, that aren't covered by Medicaid and SSI. Now, for families who are planning for their estate planning for their child, it's not quite the same, but it is. You don't want to leave them money outright and hand it to them and say, here's your bank account when I die, <laughs> because that's going to take them off benefits hmm. or reduce their benefits. But if you set up a special needs trust for them and you appoint a trustee and it has all the, the magic language in it, that it needs to be a discretionary special needs trust, then you've done what you need to do to protect their future and their benefits. You don't want them to live just off the trust money. You want them to have the benefits for the things that they can get and the trust money is supplemental. Okay. Now, how early would some uh, someone start something like this? Well, I mean, say you have a young family and they have five children and one child at birth they find out is severe autism or something like that and they're going to need help. But do they start, they set up something then? What, what, triggers, what triggers a family to set up their trust? So let's use um, your example in part. So young family comes in, they have five children, and one of them is severely disabled, but was disabled at birth. Might have been fine up until the time they were born, and all of a sudden there's a traumatic event. And that child receives a settlement because, you know, mom and dad sued whoever needed to be sued. They receive a settlement and that money should go into a special needs trust for that child at that point to be able to use 
for things that he or she needs in addition to whatever Medicaid or medical assistance, or excuse me, Medicare and or personal insurance might pay for. So maybe mom and dad are employed and have great insurance while their child's covered till 26, but the trust can pay for things that that insurance doesn't cover or can pay the co-pays. And so, you know, we have clients as young as, I think our youngest one is five or six, um, severely disabled as a result of a, of an injury at birth. Um, and then we have clients as old as in their nineties because in a pooled special needs trust, you can fund it after age 65 and we can protect that person's assets by putting their money into a trust and paying for things that are additional to what they may need in a nursing home or something like that. So realistically, there's not in Maryland um, an age restriction. Okay. Are there age restrictions in other states? Because yes. I do have listeners from yes. other states. So, in a, and, and again, you know, if you're looking at, so think of this, let's back up a second. And before you answer that, uh-huh. if I have a listener in another state that would want your help, can they cross the line and come to you guys and join your pool? If they say they live in New York. No. Okay. No, not unless they're moving here. Okay. However, okay. they are more than welcome to cross that line via phone and email and ask for referrals. Okay. Because we have colleagues across the country. Okay. Um, happy to make referrals. Okay. So think about the trust by following the money. Okay. There's self-settled trust. Or there's third-party trusts. Okay, I'm glad you're going here because I wanted to know the differences between the trusts. So self-settled is where the money belongs initially to the person with the disability, regardless of age. Again, somebody leaves a person with disability money outright when they pass. You know, here's the attorney does the estate and hands the person a check. That's their money. However, if mom and dad plan and leave money into a trust, that's third-party money. So third-party money belongs to anyone but the individual with a disability. Okay. First-party money belongs to the individual, earnings, um, savings accounts, um, debit cards, whatever it might be, gift cards, that belongs to that individual to start with. Third-party money belongs to everybody else to start with. So you have a first-party trust or self-settled trust, and then you have a third-party trust, which could be a trust set up by parents and grandparents before they pass or under their wills. So there's a variety of ways to, to set them up. Okay. Okay. You're going to ask a question. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. <laughs> um, just so that we are, so that we're clear on who the money belongs to. Okay. When we're talking about a trust and then how it helps the individual with the disabilities. Okay. Now, I, 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 this 
topic came up because I asked a friend a question and we were talking taxes. Okay. So let's let's piggyback on the tax benefits of setting up a, a um, special needs trust or disability trust. Um, is there? Um, I can't give you that answer. Okay. And, okay. and I wouldn't because I'm not a tax accountant. I understand that. Um, so I would defer that back to the council okay. or a tax accountant. Okay. Um, understand that if you are a parent or grandparent and you're setting up a trust and funding it for your grandchild, somewhere along the line, there may be a tax question. And realistically, you need to consult a tax accountant or an attorney who's knowledgeable in in that. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Not my bailiwick. (laughs) I understand that. I understand that. Now, is it any other topic that we want to touch on that I might not have covered with ans- asking you a few questions? Um, so there's guardianships and representative payees. Can we talk How about that? that? Able account? Sure. Yeah. Well, t- tell me a little, tell my listeners a little bit about that. Um, so realistically, when you're, and especially if you're planning for family, mm-hmm. um, there's a couple things you need to pay attention to. Um, when you have a child who's under 18, the parents are the guardians, mm-hmm. sort of de facto because they're the parents. Some children, when they become over 18, they're considered an adult and they may or may not need a guardian of property and person, depending upon their disability. Um, And so, and the guardian of property or person um, is court appointed. Mm -hmm. And so those are things along with who would be the representative payee for social security benefits. Um, Those are all things that when you do your estate planning, you should have a conversation or your your listeners should have a conversation with their attorney on what does this really mean for me? What does it mean for my child? Who's going to be there for my child when I can't? Those are all questions that you need to kind of work through. Um, We have a lot of trusts that are deferred where families have done their estate planning, we're named as the trustee, um, and the trust doesn't kick in till mom and dad are gone or grandparents are gone. And so from our perspective on this, we wanna know who their representative payee is going to be to the best that they can tell, who the guardian might be if there should be one appointed, um, do, does your, your individual, our potential client need a guardian? Um, what the disability is, what their needs are. Um, you know, when you're planning, you kind of, most parents know this. If you have a child with disabilities, you live this every day. So mm-hmm. you know it. It's kind of like preaching to the choir. All right. However... When it comes down to 
choosing a trustee when it comes down to doing the estate planning a lot of families kind of put it off because they don't want to face it what happens to my child when i'm gone and you know we have parents that are calling in their 80s saying i need to set up something for my child who's in their 50s or 60s <laughs> and yet we also have parents who are in their 30s going how am i going to deal with this and can i set something up now absolutely you can um, but there's a lot of different ways to do things and so we would chat with that individual along with their counsel and you know try and give them the questions to ask or the questions we would ask of the parents or grandparents so that if we were to step in we're not stepping in blindly hmm. um, we ask a lot of questions up front um, it's hard enough for an adult when a parent passes but to be a disabled adult and to lose your support system for us to be able to step in and help without a lot more trauma you know we ask a lot of questions up front so we would work with families in their estate planning process um, and the individuals when it comes to having their own self-settled trust if they have one we ask a lot of questions um, for our clients and there's a lot that can be can be asked but the guardianship and the and the rep payee are definitely issues um, to be discussed we do serve as guardian of property we will do bill paying for clients that don't have a trust um, we also will serve as representative payee for um, for individuals, whether they're clients or not, but they can't handle their own money, pay their bills, make sure they've got, you know, what needs to be done. So there's, in addition to the special needs trusts, we also serve in those capacities. But those are things, conversations that parents really wanna be having with counsel, in addition to that tax question. I'm wondering about, what about these students that are in foster care? What happens with them that are special needs, um, dis disabled, severe disabled, but they age out of foster care. Um, I've seen a few of those cases and it gets pretty nasty. I've seen them be scammed and lose money and they're end up homeless and on the street. Um, and people wonder, well, what happened when they're so-and-so was, when they were younger, they were all right. Now they're, something triggered them and now they're, but it really was because nobody helped them manage their money so is it anything in place for students that are in this situation that are in foster care so um yes sort of <laughs> which which is a really definitive answer for you um so several years ago the state of maryland said that um they mandated to dss the department of social services who handles under age 21 excuse me, APS, Adult Protective Services, handles over 21. So the state said that the DSS system needed to conserve funds for their foster care kids if they're receiving, and most of them do, receiving benefits, public benefits. And so there's a scale 
um, of monies that have to be conserved at age 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and until they age are out. age out um, or elect out mm-hmm. at 18, which does Some happen. Do. Mm-hmm. So they approached several of the pool trust organizations, First Maryland included, to set up special needs trusts for some of these children um, across the state. And we have, I think, maybe 120, 130 clients. And some of our kids have aged out. Um, there's not a lot of money saved. I mean, there, there are, depends on how soon they came in through the system and when they started, the state started conserving their funds. Um, the problem with DSS, and, and it's not really the problem with DSS, but when the kids age out, if they are severe and they have difficulty, they may they qualify for other benefits and other services so that somebody, some agencies that come along um, or are chosen, I should say, not just come along, but are chosen to help them um, do manage their money. Hmm. But you do have some who are not so severely disabled that can choose to leave the system, not accept services. Those are the ones that get scammed or don't know how to manage their money. Now, (laughs) if for us, we will not close out their trust account when they age out because we feel that if you have a disability just because you've reached age age 18 or 20 and you've decided to leave the system doesn't mean your disability is gone exactly (laughs) and so we will continue to hold those funds in their account and help them along the way. And if they'll work with us, then we'll work to make sure that there's somebody alongside them to help out. But unfortunately, and it's not, you know, it's not any one agency's fault. There are kids who fall through the cracks because they don't want the help and then they wind up on the street. Well, they act like they don't know that they need the help. That is the problem. They don't think they need to help. And in some cases, that's part of their disability. In other cases, it's just being a headstrong teenager slash young adult. <laughs> I th- I brought that up because I used to live in an apartment complex, and I'm not going to give them any um, any advertisement on this mm-hmm. podcast. Yep. But I lived in a luxury apartment complex that there were several um, students that was severe, that was in foster care, that I know they had assistance. And I always wondered what happened to them, what would happen to them when they aged out. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to bring that topic up because I know mm-hmm. a few of them listened to me. Yes. So I wanted to make sure I give them a plug so that they know there is help if Absolutely. they need it. And there are foster families who continue to, the child continues to remain with them well after they've reached 20, 22, they stay because, um, you know, they've got that rapport and family relationship with their foster family. 
And, you know, we work with the foster family at that point and the child, in addition to maybe if there's an agency that backs them up, DDA, if it's, you know, developmental disabilities and they qualify for benefits or what have you, you know, we'll continue to work with them. But, you know, if there's somebody out there that needs help, we can certainly help find them what they need. Thank you. This is, I mean, this has been really enlightening for me. I mean, I don't have the need, but I know that there is a lot of families out there that do have the need. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure they know about it. Sure. (laughs) Is it, uh, how would they get in touch with you? How, how, what would you recommend a family that needs your assistance? How do they, they reach out? So you can check our website, um, Google First Maryland Disability Trust. Google disability in Maryland, we pop up, Um, you know, send us an email in our website. There's a let's connect button, Um, www.firstmdtrust.org and or phone numbers, by all means, give us a call, shoot us an email, happy to, um, to connect. Well, thank you, Denise, for coming on to my podcast today. Listeners become a listener supporter. Tune in the next time to listen to a genuine discussion with and for genuine folk. Let's play ball and win. This is Taboo Winslow Morris, sole owner and founder of Triumphant Athletic Agency, author and podcaster. You have an awesome day. And don't forget, you can reach out to Ms. Denise at First Merlin Disability Trust if you have the need. Don't be out there by yourself just swaying in the wind and thinking something's going to happen and it's not going to happen unless you do something. So come on, parents. Come on, guardians. Come on, grandparents. Don't let's, don't drop 10 grand in a, a child's hand and wipe out their benefits. Be smart about it. Set up the disability special needs trust first and then drop the $10,000 in their lap when it's the time for them to do that. Thank you for being a listener today and reach out to First Maryland Disability Trust. Let's play ball or win. Thank you.